As we look through the Bible, the message is not simply that God exists or merely that He is creator over all. It's more than an account of God's particular actions in history, guiding the remarkable course of Israel in the Old Testament and working in the life of Jesus in the New Testament. It's even inadequate to realize that the Bible is God's own message about who He is, His creation of all that is, and His acts in world history. Of course, we know that the Bible is God's Word to us about all of those things, but it's more than that. It is possible to understand and believe all of these things and still miss what the Bible is about. There are a lot of people in our world and throughout history that know or knew a lot of the contents of the Bible and even accept what they know to be true, but do not have what the Bible calls faith. And so we ask, well, what are they missing? The Bible is valuable for the wealth of information that it contains about a lot of things, but the Bible is of ultimate worth because in it, God makes His promise. Faith is not just believing the information that the Bible contains, just having a head knowledge of of facts. Faith is a heart knowledge. It is believing God's promise. And everything in the Bible works together to enable and to build this faith. The Bible tells us what God has promised what He has already done in faithfulness to this promise, what He will do, and what the implications of His promise are for human life. And unless we see that everything in the Bible is related to God's promise, we miss the point. But once we believe that promise, then the Bible comes to life. Now, the Bible contains many promises, but the promises of God are all expressions or aspects of the one promise. And so, what is that one promise? God has promised to bless the creation that He has made and humankind whom He has made in His image. He has promised to do this through a great nation descended from Abraham. And the promise has begun to be fulfilled through the death and resurrection of Jesus, And as people from every nation are put right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The vision of a great multitude from every nation rejoicing before God's throne points to the final realization of the promise. And God's promise is not only the key for understanding everything in the Bible, but it is the key, it is fundamental for understanding everything. So how is is it? that one promise to bless the nations of the world through a great nation descended from Abraham was fulfilled in the person of Jesus? How is it that Jesus, one man, fulfills the promise made to Abraham about a great nation and all the families of the earth? The Old Testament provides the links between the promise that we hear in Genesis and the fulfillment announced in the New Testament. The most important of those links is King David. He is crucial. He he is the crucial link between Abraham and Jesus. And David's place in the unfolding story of the Bible is a decisive step in God's faithfulness to his promise to Abraham. 
God made his promise to Abraham. And with David, God reiterated his promise in terms that prepare us for its fulfillment in Jesus. And when we see God's promise to David fulfilled in Jesus, we see how Jesus fulfills his promise to Abraham. We see that all of this flows together. And the crucially important promise that God made to David is recorded in 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 through 17. So let's read that. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from your enemies." Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's pray. Dear God, As we come to your word this morning, as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, God, I pray that you speak through me. Help us us to see what you were saying uh, to the original audience in the original context of 2 Samuel, but God, help us to see how this passage relates to Jesus and how this passage impacts our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. This text that we just read is one of the most important passages in the whole Bible. After David had become the king of Israel and defeated the enemies of Israel and brought the ark of God into the city, God makes his promise to him. And although it was still essentially the promise that was first made to Abraham, it was now expressed in such a way that it became clear that the promise involved a king and a kingdom that would last forever. It was this expression of the promise that taught the people who believed it to expect a Messiah or a Christ. When the New Testament announces Jesus is the Christ, it is saying that Jesus is the one who was promised here. King David was concerned about properly honoring God when he was securely established as the king in Jerusalem. 
And look, his intentions were very good. He wanted to build the Lord a house of cedar like he lived in. But the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet that night, instructing him to tell David that he was not to build this, that God had a different plan. And we see in verses 8 through 11 the Lord's purpose for David. <clears throat> Following that, in the rest of verse 11 through verse 17, we see the Lord's purpose beyond David. And so as we look in the beginning at the Lord's purpose for David, here God speaks to Nathan. And as we see at the conclusion of our passage in verse 17, Nathan spoke these words to David in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. In explaining his purpose for David, he begins with David's past. It says in verse 8 and 9, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. It was God who was at work in David's life from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. From the time that David looked after his father's sheep to when Samuel anointed him to be Israel's ruler, to the day that this was happening, God had been in control and God had been with David. Everyone who had set themselves up against David had been cut off. And it wasn't David's doing. It wasn't because David was so great. It was because God was with David and God was in control. As we look at verse 8, the I is emphatic. And the implication is that the Lord of hosts was the one whose will is accomplished in David's life. The idea of building a house for the Lord was not for David to initiate. Only God could propose such a thing. And in verse 9, the second half of verse 9, there's this important shift <coughs> that, that takes the argument to its next stage. Here we see David's future. From reviewing events from the past, the Lord now moves to anticipating events that lie in the future. God had not yet finished what he had intended to do for and through David. In the beginning of the chapter, David sees his situation as settled and established, a natural time to build a house for the ark. But there are four ways that the Lord's promised goal had not yet been reached. A name, a place, peace, and rest. In verse 9, we see a name. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. These words point back to the promise that God had made long ago to Abraham. I will make your name great. The Lord intended to fulfill that promise by making David's name great. And to that, you know, to some extent... That had already happened. However, the Lord had not finished making a great name for David. There was more to come. <clears throat> Second, we see a place. Verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place. What the Lord had promised to do for David was for the sake of his people Israel. Therefore, there's this shift from you, David, in verse 9, to them, my people, Israel, in verses 10 and 11. 
And when, while the Israelites had lived in this land since the days of Joshua, the promise in verse 10 indicates that the security God had promised had not yet been fully accomplished. The third thing we see here is peace. And be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. David thought that the people's security had been won, and that those who had repeatedly oppressed them since the days of Joshua had been dealt with. But the Lord saw things differently. The goal had not yet been reached. It still laid in the future. And fourth, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The focus turns back now to you, David. What God had promised and has just promised again to do for His people Israel will be accomplished through David. David had thought that the Lord had already given him the promised rest from all of his enemies. But together, these four elements a great name for David, a secure place, and no more affliction for Israel, and rest for David, all point us back to the promise that was originally made to Abraham. The Lord's faithfulness to that promise is seen in all that had happened in David's experience, but there was more to come. David himself was central to that future, and the implication in this context is that this is a further reason that David should not consider building a house for the ark. There was more that the Lord had intended to do for and through David before there should be any talk of such a house. In other words, the Lord seems to suggest that David's motivation for thinking about building a house arose from the sense of having arrived. But David was mistaken. There was more to be accomplished for Israel. It was not yet time to build this house for the ark. And as the passage moves along in the last part of verse 11 through 17, we see the Lord's purpose beyond David. What the Lord would do in faithfulness to His promise to Abraham would not be fully completed in David's lifetime. And to understand his situation, David needed to hear not only about the past, in the near future, but also beyond that, the very great importance of what was about to be said is signaled. Moreover, the Lord declares to you. We had started with David wanting to build this house for the Lord, but now verse 11 ends with a declaration that the Lord will make him a house. Now, David had a very fine house, But the Lord intended to make for David another house, a different kind of house entirely. Verse 12 says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. This is the house that God cared about. The house of David was not to be some palace. It was a royal dynasty. This house will be made by the Lord. This is how He will make David's name great and also give His people Israel peace and safety. I want you to notice three things about this promise. 
First, it points beyond David's lifetime. David will lie down with his fathers who have gone before him. Look, it doesn't matter how great an earthly leader you are, how great a person you are, or the great things that you have accomplished. This earthly life is not forever. We all die. And one of the best leaders that Israel had ever had, Samuel, also died, which led to the appointment of Saul as Israel's first king. Saul, of course, not a great leader, died as well, and with him, his kingdom. God's promise to David, however, would not be destroyed by David's death. Second, the promise focuses on David's offspring. Just as a great name, a place, and rest promised to Abraham would be given to and through David, so God's promise concerning Abraham's seed would be fulfilled in the seed of David, who would also be, of course, the seed of Abraham. The word offspring or seed in verse 12 represents a singular noun in Hebrew that can refer to an individual or collectively to a whole line of descendants. And so, on the surface, the, re- uh, the reference here is to David's son, an heir, which is Solomon, who at this time is yet to be born. But while we see, uh, we're going to see that this is um, referencing Solomon, but also we will see that this, there are deeper dimensions to this promise as well. It is much bigger than just Solomon. It's much bigger than just David. Paul says in Galatians 3, 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. The offspring of David will not end with Solomon. Third, it would be the kingdom of David's offspring that will be established by the Lord. The Lord was concerned for more than the kingdom of David's lifetime. After David's death, the Lord would establish the kingdom in the hands of his offspring or his seed. And here, the important word kingdom is introduced to this passage. This word has a range of senses in different contexts, and frequently it means to rule or reign, that is, kingship. And that seems to be the sense here. The Lord will make the reign of David's offspring secure. In this way, the Lord would be the one who would make a house for David. Verse 13 says, He shall build a house for my name. Not you, David, but him. And this is the last that we will hear of this house in 2 Samuel 7. The house that the Lord had promised to make for David was much more important. The house that the Lord had promised to build for David, however, it's going to be of interest for the rest of the Bible. Everything that the Old Testament will say about a Messiah to come, particularly in the books of the prophets and in the Psalms, will look back to this promise. The New Testament message about Jesus proclaims the fulfillment of this promise in Him. And here the key elements of that promise are stated clearly. First, we see God promises an eternal throne. Verse 13, this house that the Lord will make will never come to an end, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. 
This means that the royal rule of David's offspring will last forever. This is the house that the Lord will make for David. The Hebrew phrase translated forever occurs seven more times in this chapter. This chapter began with the idea of David building this permanent house. And that idea of permanence is taken to a whole new level in the house that the Lord was promising. This kingdom will never come to an end. This kingdom, then, will be much different from Saul's kingdom. The promise is that the Lord will establish the kingdom of David's offspring forever. And so we ask, well, what then will make David's kingdom different from Saul's? And the answer comes in the second element of the promise. The eternal stability of the kingdom will be secured by the relationship of the Lord to the king. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I and he are emphasized in the Hebrew, uh, stressing the relationship of each to each other. The father-son relationship between the Lord and the king in David's line is the key difference from Saul's kingdom. And it's not that all of the offspring of David are going to be completely obedient or even that they will be better than Saul. But these instances of disobedience will not have the same consequences that they did for Saul's kingdom. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. The promise will be worked out in the lives of the kings in David's line, starting with David himself. Individual kings, starting with David, will commit iniquity. They will sin and will sin greatly. And punishment will follow, just as a good human father disciplines his children. The wording in 2 Samuel 7.14 may also suggest that the Lord's discipline will come by human agents, saying the rod of men, the stripes of the sons of men. But this will not, however, be like the punishment that fell on Saul, which was the complete rejection of him and his kingdom. David's offspring, the house that the Lord will make for David, will never be rejected like that. In due course, we will see that individual kings in David's line could be condemned, but the promise was that the Lord's steadfast love will not depart from the line of David's offspring. And we now know that one day there would be a son of David who committed no iniquity, the one in which this promise is fully fulfilled. Of him, the father would say, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. However, from David to Jesus, there was not one other that this could be said of. They were all disciplined, but the line of David's offspring was never rejected. The Lord did not go back on His choice, although, as we will see, in even David's life himself, the Lord was sorely provoked. But we see God promises an eternal kingdom. The whole message from the Lord for David finishes by returning to the permanence of what was being promised with this twice-repeated forever. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made. It shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. House, kingdom, and throne are virtually synonyms here. And your is singular. It refers again to David. And his offspring, the reign of David, will be secure forever. And made sure represents a Hebrew word that suggests reliability, trustworthiness, faithfulness, and stability. Faithfulness is a gift from God that David promised to bring. The long-anticipated stability and trustworthiness and faithfulness will come in the royal house of David that will be reliable forever. Each of these great promises was partially fulfilled in Solomon, David's son and successor to the throne. We see as we read through the Scriptures, Solomon did rule on David's throne. We see that God's mercies never departed from Solomon, even though he sinned and sinned greatly. Solomon built God a magnificent house. But the prophets foretold a greater fulfillment of these promises. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 tells us, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. And Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, tell us, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's promise of a house for David is completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As Luke 1, 31 through 33 tells us, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus does reign and will reign on David's throne forever. The Father's mercies never departed from Jesus, even when He was made sin for us. Jesus is building the Father a magnificent house in the sense that we are God's temple and the church is God's new house. We always needed a son of David greater than David. One who would not be anointed with oil, 
but by the Holy Spirit. One who would not slay Goliath, but would slay death. One who would not win his bride by shedding another man's blood, but by spilling his own. One whose end was not the grave, but the throne. And such a king we have in Jesus. The promised offspring of David has come. The eternal kingdom has begun. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. This news is the gospel that we believe and proclaim. The most important news in the world. Jesus the Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God made to build a house for David. As the son of David, he will reign forever on the new earth over his people. And while we await that great day, we love and we worship and we obey our great king, Jesus. And so as we close, we ask, what do we do with this knowledge that Jesus is our great king? that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. Well, we submit ourselves to the Son of David, who right now rules invisibly from heaven until He puts every enemy under His feet. We work to grow in our walk with the Lord. We learn about Him together in community, and we learn about Him spending time studying His Word. And we serve Him as we go out from this congregation and into our world sharing the good news of Jesus. And we announce that good news to people in our community or in our families, at our Christmas celebrations, or during this season as we're coming right now at Seaford into upward basketball season as we are sharing the good news with the children and the parents in our community. We make sharing this news a prioritized part of our everyday life. We're intentional about it. We want people to trust in Christ. We want people to be a part of His kingdom. Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the eternal King of the world, will come from heaven and will establish a reign of joy and righteousness and peace over all of His loyal subjects forever. And until He comes, our mission is to share. This Christmas season, absolutely, but in our everyday lives as well. Now, the band is going to come up, and I'm going to pray. But before I pray, I do want to say, if you are here this morning and you have not yet trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the very mercy and faithfulness that guarantees David an eternal kingdom can guarantee you all of the joy and the righteousness and the peace of that kingdom. Call on Him today. 
Listen to the entreaty of Jesus himself in the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22:16. I am the root of the, and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Let him who is thirsty come. Let him who desires take the water of life without price. Come to the son of David. Come to the king of kings and let today be the day of salvation. And if you want to talk about that this morning, of course, or if you're with us on the live stream, you can reach out to us by email or by text at connect at seafordbaptist.com, and we will get right back with you. But also, myself and Pastor Michael and Pastor Ben, all of us are right here. And if you would like to talk about these things, we would love nothing more than to talk to you. So please, come and find us after the service. We would love to have that conversation with you. Let's pray. Dear God, as we come here today and we, we gather, we thank you so much for that chance to come and to worship you, to have fellowship with our Christian brothers and sisters, to have you know, our morning Bible study with our, our small groups, and then to come here for corporate worship, God, to, to worship you, to hear your word preached, to fellowship with each other. And God, we pray that you help us to remember that as we celebrate Christmas, right now is one week away from Christmas Day, that you help us to remember what it is that we are celebrating. That the coming of Jesus wasn't just some accident or something that happened, but God, that this has been promised throughout the Scriptures. God, that you have made your promise, you have kept your promise. And God, we pray that we rejoice in that today during this Christmas season as we celebrate with our families and with our friends, but God, that our celebration and our rejoicing of that marks our everyday lives. God, help us to be on fire for the gospel. Help us to desire to share the good news of Jesus. Not just now as the time where it's, it's natural for us to reflect on these things, and, it's, and maybe it's easier to share during this time of the year, and that's great, and we should. But God, in our everyday lives, help us to desire to serve you and to desire to share the good news. And God, we pray that you give us guidance and wisdom and courage as we go out, as your workmanship, proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, well, you may have a seat for just a moment, and we are going to close our service with a bit of prayer and some announcements. Um, want to let you know about some things that are happening here at SBC uh, this week. Obviously, it's an important week. It is Christmas week, so uh, we will be here Saturday night, uh, 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. We are going to be having uh, Christmas Eve worship. So uh, if you want to know what those services are like, 7 o'clock service uh, obviously tends to be more geared toward families than the 11 uh, and small children. Uh, so at the 7 o'clock, we, you know, I'm going to preach. If you have friends and family that don't know the Lord Jesus, um, I'm going to encourage you to bring them. What I promise you is they're going to hear the gospel on uh, next Saturday night. All right, we're going to preach the gospel clearly and uh, in an engaging way for them to be able to understand it. And and we would love to see new people uh, come to know Jesus this Christmas season. It's the best thing that could happen. So uh, I, I really encourage you to take the next 24 hours, okay? Take the next 24 hours and pray about who you could invite to our Christmas Eve service. And, uh, and then... Uh, wake up on Tuesday morning and invite them. All right, so that's the challenge. Pray about who it is, and then wake up on Tuesday and invite them to church. That's simple, but I want to encourage you to do that. 11 o'clock, we have uh, a communion service. We'll take the Lord's Supper together. I, I give more of a devotion, uh, a little bit more singing there, and it's abbreviated. We're, we're in and out in about 30 minutes. So that's what those two services look like. Uh, some have wondered. I've heard that some churches on the peninsula are canceling Christmas service. I'm going to say to you outright that I'm disappointed in that. I don't think that churches should be doing that. I think we ought to be at church. Uh, I think that the church should be having church on Christmas, all right, um, of all days. A pastor friend of mine texted me this morning and said to, to not, to, to say, well, Christmas morning, it's just too busy. I, I don't have time. It's almost say to your wife on her anniversary, like, listen, I got a lot to do to celebrate our anniversary today. I'm just not going to be able to see you. You know, it's his birthday. Like, so um, I know it's not the actual day he was born. Okay, I get it. But uh, I encourage you to be here. We're going to be here. Uh, you can join us on the live stream as well. Um, but I, I do want to encourage you to, I know it interrupts your Christmas morning. I know it does. Um, but, but the Lord interrupted history and came for us in the flesh to die for us. So uh, we can interrupt our Christmas morning. It'll be okay. Now, if you don't, your pastor does not judge you. I love you, and I will see you on New Year's Day. All right? Um, so you will not get judgment from me. But I do want to throw it out there that we're going to be here, and we would love to worship with you next week. It will be a little bit of a shorter service, a little bit of a different service. We recognize it's Christmas morning. So we're going to sing some carols. I'm going to preach. We're going to go home. That's kind of how it's going to be. Just come, sing, preach the word, and, and, and rejoice together, and then, and then go home in Christmas joy. So that's what next uh, Sunday is going to look like. So that's Christmas weekend. I really uh, encourage you to, to be here and be a part of it. And uh, if you have any questions, Pastor Ben is going to be at the uh, pastor's table when this is over. Uh, he would love to answer any questions that you have. All right, um, we are not done with the Christmas lights just yet. Uh, we have 243 cars that have come through so far, seen the show, and heard the gospel. We are thankful for that. Um, we are looking for help starting tonight. We, we do need folks to fill tonight, uh, as well as Monday, Tuesday, 
and Wednesday, okay? So that's the openings for this coming week, Sunday through Wednesday. The week after Christmas is wide open. If we get people out there, we're happy with that. And so if you're able to sign up and be out there, that's fine. If we do have nights where no one is out there to greet, we'll still have that on and people can come and they'll hear the gospel and that'll be okay. So any, any help we get that week after, we're going to be thankful for that. So you can get on the Church Center app, you can sign up or go to the Connection Corner today when we're done and uh, they can let you know how to be uh, a part of the lights. Um, before we pray for our offering, I want to let you know about something we have created uh, this year. I mentioned it last week. Uh, it is called the Daily Worship Book, and this is a little resource that we have put together uh, for our church. Um, let me explain what it is. So I really hit a point uh, coming into this year where I was just not happy with my daily time with the Lord. Um, I, I would kind of like start devotion books and find that I didn't finish them because I just got frustrated with them uh, and, and wasn't really learning at the level I wanted to. I've never, uh, if you secretly walked around in church for your entire life going, everybody's doing Bible reading plans, but I, I kind of hate them and I don't do well with them and I'm scared to tell anyone, you can confess to me, all right, because I'm with you. I struggle with them as well. And so earlier this year, I got a hold of a, a book of daily liturgy, and I started going through it where I was actually going through an order of worship every day. And then in that, I was just reading a chapter of the Bible a day. And uh, I know a lot of times pastors will stand up on stages and say things like, it changed my life, but I'm saying to you, like, it really changed my life. Like, legitimately, it has been the best pushback against depression and anxiety that I have encountered. Um, so daily liturgy and daily worship has become something I'm passionate about as your pastor. So we put this together to get liturgy into your hands. So what you have in this book are 31 uh, liturgies, 31 days to correspond with 31 months of the calendar. If you miss one, no big deal. Just skip it and go to the next day. You'll get it next month. At the end of it, there's some special liturgies for special days like Christmas. So uh, you can pick these up to use in the new year. That's what we want you to do. Uh, Pastor David is going to be at the door of the student center. He's got a bunch of these. If you want to pick them up, they're $12 a piece, and you can see him after the service. We have about 80 physical copies present today. If we were to get rid of all of them, we can get more, but there's also a link on the church website. Uh, you can go there and you can get the book at seafordbaptist.com slash DWB, okay, DWB. So um, pick that up. We're not trying to make money off this, all right? This is at cost, and if we do accidentally make profit, we're just going to put that in the missions, okay? This is just about, um, it's just about us worshiping in 2023. That's all that this is about, okay? So see Pastor David afterward if you want to pick up the daily worship book. All right, uh, if you would like to give today, seafordbaptist.com slash giving. There's a black box on your way out. You can give there. You can give through the mail. You can give on the Church Center app. All of those uh, work. But let's stand together right now, and we are going to pray to God. We are going to give him praise and thank him for our offering this morning and this great day of worship. Father, I thank you that... Uh, as we have looked at the text this morning, that uh, we have our king, that we're not waiting on our king anymore. We have our king, and it is your son, and his name is Jesus, and he has come to save his people from their sins, and indeed he has done it. And so we are not in despair. In fact, we leave here more joyful than anyone. We're not joyful this morning as we leave because it's a marshmallow world and because you know who is coming to town and because uh, jingle bells and silver bells and all of that. Lord, that, that stuff's fleeting, it comes and goes. 
the joy we're talking about of our King who has come and who will come again, that joy carries us throughout the entire year. That joy uh, ultimately is what puts rubber on the road and keeps us from losing our heads. It's our peace. Uh, it's our hope. It's our anchor. It's our security. Lord, it's all we have. And so I pray that as we look to Christ, our only hope, and we receive joy from Him, we would share that with everybody we come in contact with this week. And I pray you would use the offering that's given today to keep this church proclaiming the joy that is found in Christ alone here at 1311 Seaford Road for, uh, for generations, Lord, until your Son returns and brings us home. We love you, Father. I pray that you would be with us this Tuesday morning as many of our church members will invite people to church. Be with us as we pray over the next 24 hours about who we're going to invite, Lord. And as you lay that one on our heart, Lord, I pray you would send us to them and that you would go ahead of us, that you would soften their hearts to the gospel and that they would be willing to come with us to church this Saturday night, Lord. And so, um, and Father, I pray that you would go ahead of us on Saturday night and that the gospel would be clear and that people could come to know you this Christmas. It's the best thing that could happen to them. We love you, Father. Help us to be your workmanship and to proclaim the good news everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas to you all.